0: to you all, Jesus was truly Lord at his birth, amen? amen, and he is Lord now, right, as he is in heaven. Uh, what a joy and a privilege to be able to worship the Lord Most High with you all this morning. Let's continue our worship as we turn to the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter, and we're going to be reading from verses 21 through 35, So as soon as you turn there, if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 35. This is God's Word. When eight days were fulfilled so that they could circumcise him, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their cleansing, according to the law of Moses, were fulfilled, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Master, you are releasing your slave in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. His father and mother were marveling at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own heart as well, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Our Heavenly Father, we do just give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. We just give... Yeah, again, you all the worship, uh, do your holy name. And we ask that you'd be with us today and you'd speak to our hearts through this text, that you would even conform our hearts this morning uh, through your inspired word. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Degenerated society, corrupt government officials, Cruel, tyrannical rule, mass surveillance, religious nationalism, rampant idolatry and paganism here, rigorous legalism and faux piety there, bloody battles, numerous wars, political and societal meltdown, fueled by extremist groups and agitators, classism, sexism, racism, sexual perversion, widespread prostitution, gluttony, infanticide, And of course, gladiator games in the midst of it all. Now anyone hearing such a list this morning may think I'm speaking of the current political and social climates of modern day America, but actually these are descriptors pulled directly from quotations by historians Strabo and later Josephus, used to depict daily life in the Roman Empire around the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into the world that he spoke into existence. And let's just establish that fact right now, right from the get-go, so we can appreciate the significance of his coming into this this environment of darkness and death. The child that we'll speak about this morning, the infant, the baby, was God in human flesh. That's the summation of the incarnation, the infleshing or the taking on of human flesh by the infinitely holy creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when it says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. And make no mistake, this child, this Christ veiled in human flesh is in fact the reason for the season. Mm-hmm. I remember a number of years ago, my grandparents had this little coffee mug mug with a picture of some holly and maybe some bells on it. You know what it said on that mug? It said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And every time you drink it, Jesus is the reason for the season. And it was satisfying to some extent. But we have to get this straight now. Jesus is the reason... deity, I pray that he would, in his sovereign grace, give your hearts the eyes to behold his majesty, maybe even for the first time as you hear his word today, as you hear the testimony of the one who not only saw God incarnate with his eyes, his own physical eyes, but even held him in his hand. And blessed Yahweh for the arrival and fulfillment of the long-awaited, highly-anticipated Messiah, the Savior of the world. So let's dive in here together to the first point in your outlines. Verse 21, look with me now. So look at verse 21 again. Uh, The first few verses provide important context for this uh, testimony of Simeon in the temple here. Verse 21 says, When eight days were fulfilled so that they could circumcise him, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, for uh, for even before he was conceived in the womb. This is not the first time we've heard of the angel of the Lord naming a, a, a child pre-birth, right? Last week I pled with the expecting mothers in here not to name their sons Ham or Canaan or Nimrod. Uh, but in this case, Mary didn't have to break out that baby, uh, that baby name book, did she? Uh, this, the name of this baby was already predetermined from, from conception even. His name was called Jesus, Yeshua. Literally, Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. Yahweh is salvation. Now, people around the world, they may know Jesus by many names. Son of God, Son of Man, the Word of God, Rabbi, Teacher, Master, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Chief Cornerstone, the Alpha and the Omega, the Door, the Rock, the Bread, the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest. But here we are told His name is Savior. Yahweh's salvation. salvation. Let me just ask you right off the bat this morning. Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Savior? Uh, Do you know this babe, this infant, this child who was only a baby for a very small portion of his life, the same as any of us, just a normal duration of a baby? But do you know Jesus as Savior? Do you know him as your Savior? Savior from what, you might ask? I didn't know that I needed saving. Well, this 21st verse gives us a clue here. Note this Jesus, this Savior, Luke says, was circumcised on the eighth day. One of the things we'll go on to discover as we read the full testimony of Jesus was that he never sinned. Did you know that? Not once did he transgress the holy law of his Father in heaven. Not once did he stray to the left or the right of his father's perfect expectations for his life in either thought, word, or deed. Yet here we see this little eight-day-old baby having been circumcised, which uh, was given to Israel as a covenant symbol of cleansing and, and purification from sin while also separating them from the godless nations of the world. But the question is, why Jesus why, why would Jesus have to go th- through this act of circumcision if he was sinless? Well, as Paul says, he was born under the law. Jesus himself will go on to say later that he, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that We might receive the adoption as sons. Redeem those who are under the law? Who are those? Well, every one of us. No gods before me, no idols, don't blaspheme, don't steal, don't covet, don't kill, don't lie, don't commit adultery, keep the Sabbath, honor thy father and thy mother always. I may be so bold as to ask, how have you done in keeping the law of God for your entire life? without deviating from the, either the left or the right of God's perfect expectations for you? Answer, if you're anything like me, we get a big fat F. We've all failed. All of us have failed. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all deserving of sin's wages, which is death. We have all in unbelief knowingly and willingly transgressed his holy law. And therefore we are all, whether people like it or not, deserving of the penalty that comes along with that transgression, which which God has determined to be the everlasting torment of our souls in a place apart from his love and common grace that we even get to enjoy as we sit here this morning upon this earth. Unlike this baby, we were all born in sin. And conceived in sin. And God says, therefore, we were born judged already. Condemned already. Under his divine righteous wrath already. Meaning, all of our souls are in desperate need of salvation. Right? We need saving. And here's the good news. God is in the soul-saving business. And here's the proof. Jesus is Savior. Yahweh saves. So I ask again, do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Savior? Uh, He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. He kept the law perfectly, including Leviticus 12.3, on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. He came to fulfill the law for those who couldn't do so themselves, and so he was circumcised. And it was done, likely by Joseph on the eighth day of his earthly life. Now, Joseph and Mary, this was a godly couple, very godly couple. We've heard their testimonies before, Joseph being a just man, Mary being an obedient woman saying, behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Always desiring to please the God of Israel. Even in this testimony, we see her walking in obedience to his commands, first by abiding by the ceremonial laws concerning the days of her purification, where a woman would be considered unclean 40 days after giving birth to a male child, 50 if she was a female child, uh, also Leviticus 12. Uh, Luke says in verse 22, she waited those 40 days to then go up to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord. So we have a purification, and we have a presentation Now, why is it important to present Jesus to the Lord? Well, again, that's what it says in the law. Our verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's Exodus chapter 12. But that's not all this young family were doing at the temple this morning, was it? Verse 24 says, they went in to offer sacrifice according to what was said In the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. That law says, after her days of purification, a woman is to bring a lamb for a burnt offering. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. One for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. Meaning, first of all, Mary was not sinless. Just like Joseph was not sinless nor anyone else in the temple on that day or any other day. Nobody except that little baby cradled in her arms was sinless. Second, notice how Luke says they opted to go the bird route known as the offering of the poor. Therefore, we can, make absolutely, uh, we can be absolutely certain that they had not yet been visited by those magi who were bearing gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? They hadn't come yet. I hate to ruin any nativity scenes in here, but you can push those guys to the side a little bit. They won't come for another couple years. Just push them away. Worth mentioning that our Lord came as one who was meek and lowly. Before he came to this earth, he was rich. He was very rich. He had everything in glory, yet for the sake of his people, he became poor so that they, through his poverty, might become rich. But not in the way the folks on TBN tell you. No. God's people are rich in heart, even if they are poor in the world. No shame in being without. The Lord is our greatest example of that. Again, I ask you, do you know the Savior this morning? Do you know the Savior this morning? J.C. Ryle has said, let us often ask ourselves what our own hearts know of the Son of God. Is he our Jesus? Our Savior? This is the question on which salvation turns. Let it not content us to know Christ as one who wrought many miracles and spake as never a man spake, or to know him as one who is very God and will one day judge the world. Let us see that we know him experimentally as our deliverer from the guilt and power of sin and our redeemer from Satan's bondage. Let us strive to be able to say, this is my friend, I was dead. He gave me life. I was a prisoner. He set me free. End quote. Well, Joseph and Mary and Yahweh's salvation were not the only ones in the temple this morning. Luke says in verse 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, we aren't told who this man was, if he was a priest, an attendant, if he was a husband or father himself. We don't know. This is all we ever hear of this guy. We may not know his whole story, but we know enough. We know the most important characteristics of this man because the Holy Spirit tells us as much. He says this man was righteous and devout. This is either a nod to his being made righteous by faith along with every other Old Testament saint or his, his being righteous, truly righteous in his conduct. And I think it's both. He is in the temple. He is worshiping the Lord in the temple. Luke says he was Devout, He was devoted to the things of the Lord. Actually, this is best translated careful in the things of the Lord. He was carefully taking hold of what is good, cautious even concerning his spiritual service. He was just before both uh, God and man. This was a faithful man of Yahweh. Now, wouldn't you like the same to be said of you someday? He was a righteous and devout man. She was a a righteous, devout woman. Not only that, but uh, Luke says in verse 25 that he was a man of the word, the Simeon. He was waiting for the comfort or consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Why did Israel need to be comforted? Well, again, these were very dark times. One ought to be comforted in, in times of great disappointment and tremendous grief, right? We have to be built up in times when it seems like God is nowhere to be found, where it seems like the enemy is winning the spiritual battle, when all around our soul gives way. Even when living our lives in an environment of soul-crushing darkness, of a tumultuous society, a society that is in decay, in a death spiral of moral degeneracy, again, much like our nation today. Our Romans 1 society. Where God has delivered its people up to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonorable passions, and to debased minds, minds that are literally disqualified from rational thought. Do you see this out here? Where God essentially says, okay, okay. If these odious and detestable things are the gods you choose to love with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, serve them. I will give them to you in abundance. And that's the judgment. Judgment. And the darkness deepens, right? Here we are. Again, this was the setting of our passage today. It was a very dark place at a very dark time. And unfortunately, this temple, this sanctuary, this place of refuge didn't provide worshippers much comfort or relief. It was a place that had been corrupted by a harsh, legalistic, really satanic form of Judaism with which placed heavy burdens on the backs of the people, all ultimately for the benefit of and the exaltation and the glorification of not the God of the heavens and the earth, but of the so-called spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. It was for their glory, their exaltation. In fact, this baby would stroll into this temple some 30 years later, making a whip, driving people out and flipping over tables, all while yelling, stop making my father's house a place of business. He he was angry, he was furious that this this place of prayer and worship and hope and joy and peace and communion with God was turned into a marketplace where sizable profits were being made on people who were just coming in to offer their sacrifices to Yahweh, which is why he would go on to call those who were responsible blind guides. And then false shepherds, hypocrites, he'd call them, lovers of money children of hell. This, coupled with the fact that God had sent no prophet to his people for four centuries, necessitated much consolation and comforting. These had been called the silent years, the dark years. However, that comfort would come, and Simeon knew it. In fact, the comforter. The one whom Simeon waited for with eager expectation would come, the same one who we all wait for to deliver us from our darkened and corrupted world as we await his coming again. For Simeon, this was realized as the comforter would come into the temple on this day. Of course, we're talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, Isaiah 40, comfort, oh, comfort my people says your God. A voice is calling, prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. The mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Simeon was a man of the word. He knew this prophecy and he knew it well. He believed it. The glory of Yahweh would be revealed in time. Simeon knew this because Simeon was faithful. He was a part of the true Israel, God's remnant, which he preserves no matter the time or place, which Simeon was clearly a part of. Not only that, but notice in verse 25 where Luke writes, the spirit was upon him. Notice, not in him, not permanently indwelling him, that happens a at the Pentecost after Christ's glorious ascension, but upon him, filling him for a time, controlling him temporally for a specific task, even speaking to him, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's a pretty amazing promise right there. It's essentially a pledge of immortality until the comforting Messiah was revealed to him. He could have said, you know what? Until this guy comes, I am invincible. Take your best shot. But I doubt he did that. Instead, Luke says in verse 27, that in the will of the sovereign Lord, he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, master, you are releasing your slave in peace. According to your word. (laughs) What? Wait a second. A baby? A little infant coming into the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women with all these thousands of people around? A little baby is the Messiah? I mean, I can understand John the Baptist's excitement and seeing a fully grown man walking toward him capable of. Raising up an entire army, taking the nation back from Roman rule, and establishing his kingdom reign from the throne of David, causing him to boldly warn the religious leaders I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet says. That I can see, but a baby? <laughs> a 40 day old child? who is then taken out of his mother's hands, grabbed by this stranger who receives him into his arms, blesses God, praises God, saying, "Okay, Yahweh, I have seen this particular baby from this particular couple on this particular day. Now I'm ready to die. Imagine if some guy came in here right now and did the same thing with one of our babies. First of all, I don't think our security team would like it very much. Second, I know that our mothers wouldn't like it very much, and rightfully so. But that's what happened here on this day. So picture this moment in this temple. How seemingly random this is. How seemingly odd. How coincidental that he just happened to be there the same day that this young family strolled in. But was it odd? Was it just a coincidence? Was his seeing this family and this baby among this possible sea of families and babies just an incredible stroke of luck here? Wow, here he is. Bring him here. Of course not. This was all sovereignly predetermined. This man, Simeon, was chosen to bear witness that the Comforter had indeed come and the Spirit of God led him, just as he did Mary and Joseph, to just the right place at just the right time for just the right moment to say in verse 29, Now, Master, Lord, owner of my life, you are releasing your slave in peace according to your word. Again, in other words, now I can die. I'm ready to die. You're allowing me to depart this life in peace. Like a ship that unloosens uh, the ropes from its moorings, uh, pulls up the anchor and prepares to set sail for safe harbors. Simeon says, you are allowing your slave, your willing slave to depart from this life in peace. This is known as dying well, dying gracefully. There's a grace and a mercy in the physical death of a believer. A grace and mercy, only uh, it's only true of those who have a peace that surpasses all human understanding, a godly peace provided by the very spirit of God himself. As has been said, peace floods the soul when Christ rules the heart. I encourage you uh, encourage you this morning, uh, those who truly believe, to remember this declaration of Simeon when your time of departure comes, your imminent departure from this earth. Simeon viewed uh, Yahweh as uh, releasing his slave from the bonds of life on a corrupted and cursed earth full of sin and darkness and death. You're relieving me of my duty, Yahweh. You're calling me home to be with you like a watchman of the night who waited for the rising sun before he was dismissed from his post. The night is through. I have seen the glory of the sun. I'm ready for the relief that comes along with leaving this world and coming into your presence for life everlasting. That's what this means. Gone from my heart, the world with all its charm. Now through the blood, I'm saved from all alarm. Can you say the same thing this morning? Are you ready to die as you sit in that chair this morning? Are you ready to go and be with your Lord now? I would encourage you this morning, my brothers and sisters, death is not something to be feared. Its sting has been removed by the Lord of the heavens and the earth from those he loves. For those he loves, he's removed the sting of death. When that time comes, those who have seen the sun can be ready to depart in peace. That's Simeon's song, anyhow. Look at at verse 30. He says, I am ready to die for, here's the reason, For I have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. The glory of God has returned to the temple. I can die a contented man because I have seen the Comforter. I have seen the promised hope, the Messianic hope. I have seen the salvation of Yahweh. This is remarkable in itself. Uh, Salvation, deliverance, eternal reconciliation uh, to holy God, the restoration of the broken relationship between holy God and sinful man is manifested in this little baby. It's manifested in the person of Christ. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us, God's salvation. Yahweh saves, He is the Savior. Simeon says, I see him. He goes on, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. A light? Where did he get that? Again, from the inspired word of God. Isaiah 42, I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will also take hold of you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who inhabit darkness from the prison. I will give you as a covenant, as a light to the nations. What's he talking about here? The spiritual darkness. He's talking about the spiritual darkness which consumes this land, Israel and the nation, the whole world, is darkened by sin and death. A light is coming, he says. Yahweh will give him a person as a covenant to the people. Isaiah 49, I will also give you as a light of the nations. Why? So that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 51, for a law will go forth from me and I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. Why? Isaiah 52, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and dense glooms the people, but Yahweh will rise upon you and his glory will appear on you. Nations will come to your light, kings of the brightness, kings to the brightness of your rising. This is the glory of Israel. Salvation would come first to Israel and then salvation would go out from Israel as we heard last week in Genesis chapter 10. Simeon knew what this child meant not only for the people of Israel but what it meant for the nations, what it meant for the world, people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. The light who shines in the darkness has come. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. How many things? All things. things. That's right. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overtake it. The light shines in the darkness. That's what Jesus said was true of himself. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 9. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. John 12. Everyone, he says, everyone, not only the Jew, but everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. This world may be a dark place. But, but take heart, my brothers and sisters. True believers, though they are in the world, are no longer of the world, right? The light of the world has called us out of the world, both Jew and Gentile, and all by his amazing grace alone. And frankly, that's why we read of what happens next in verse 33, as his father and mother were marveling at the things which were being said about him. They were marveling. <laughs> Marveling uh, in amazement at what was being said about this little baby boy. They were amazed. How about you? How about you? Have you are you amazed at what's been revealed to you about the Christ? Let me ask you again: do you know of this salvation? Have have you seen this light? Have you been delivered from the domain of darkness and death by the true light that has come into the world? Now's the time to be sure. Now's the time to be absolutely certain of your salvation. Salvation which comes through illumination. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, is that true of you this morning? Is that true of you? We, not, we may not be able to see his face in the, in the flesh, but Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who don't see me and yet still believe. Still believe what? That he is who the scriptures say that he is. Even here in the second chapter of Luke, that he is Yahweh's Christ, Yahweh's salvation, the glory and comforter of Israel, that he is the shining light in the dark world. And verse 34, the child appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. You know what that phrase demonstrates there? Not everyone will be comforted, will they? Not everyone will be saved and have the light of God shining in their hearts, will they? In fact, some would hate the light. They would hide from the light, like those little centipedes that scurry around. When you lift up a stone, they go into the nearest hole. They're trying to avoid the light. So man, in their natural state, scurry away from the light of God, right? One of the first things that I did, or we did, when I came to this building five years ago was to replace the lighting. I was an electrician out of high school, and I was in lighting sales for many years. So when I came here, one of the first things that I noticed was the lighting The building had old broken lights on the outside and old flickering lights on the inside, so we changed them. We put in new ballasts, switched out the fluorescence, got some bright white LEDs for the interior and exterior fixtures. Now, if you'd like to know the lumen output and the color rendering index of all these different lights, you just see me after the service. (laughs) Happy to tell you. I switched all these lights. I had cameras installed as well. You wouldn't believe some of the things that you see around here in the darkness of night. Theft, vandalism, people doing drugs, people doing other things I won't mention. However, when these bright white new lights came on, a lot of those activities, they stopped. What's well, the same way with the Word of God? What we're doing here this morning, what we do every Lord's Day morning, is opening up the light of God's Word, right? Right? And the the Spirit then uses the the Word to shine His light upon our sinful hearts. Now, some who belong to Him, they love the light. They want the light, as painful as it can be. They want the light shown upon their sin so that they can turn from their sin. They they can grow from it. They can live lives pleasing to God. But, But others, they hate the light. They can't stand the light. And they spend their entire lives avoiding the light or even... In the case of some professing believers, they scurry from church to church in hopes of finding ones that have those really fancy dimmer switches installed. Uh, in other words, where the light of God's word is turned down a bit. You know what I'm saying? Because it's shining too brightly on their hearts, shining too brightly on their sins. Jesus said this very thing would happen, didn't he? I mean, it's not my words here. He said, the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come into the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. There you go. And Simeon, through the revelation of the Spirit of God, he knows it. This child appointed for the fall and, and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, we already have the fall part covered. You remember that? All have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Right. We were all conceived of and born in sin. Again, conceived of and born under the judgment of God already. This child will be the fall of many. Their foolish hearts were darkened, which caused them to deny him, to blaspheme him. And they Should they die in this fallen condition, should they not turn to the light and believe his word, they will remain in that darkened state for all of eternity. But during their earthly life, they will hate the Lord's Christ. And they did hate the Christ, and they did oppose him when he was on earth, right? Right from the get-go. When Herod slew all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, he killed them all and continued throughout his his earthly ministry. Many in Israel would continually oppose him. Even their leaders would follow him around, day after day, attempting to discredit him at every turn, all because he exposed their hypocrisy and shed light upon their sins. So they called him a sinner. No, we're not sinners, you're a sinner. And a drunkard, and a Sabbath violator, a worker of Satan, saying he did miracles by the power of Beelzebub. They hated Christ to the point where they arrested him and mocked him and slapped him in the face, struck him in the face, spit on his face. They condemned him to death before delivering him into the hands of lawless men. Pontius Pilate and Herod, who became best friends that day, united by their common opposition to Jesus, united in their commitment to preserve their own place in this corrupted world. Pilate even sentencing him to death. Death on a Roman cross, not knowing that this would be the means by which God would save his people from the penalty of their sin, as this comforter, this Christ, this Messiah, this glory of Israel and light of the world would hang upon that tree and breathe his last, collapsing, his lungs collapsing under the weight of his own body. All while his mother looks on in horror, by the way, John tells us, which is exactly why Simeon says to Mary in verse 35, a sword will pierce through your heart as well. Apparently, Simeon knew what awaited this child that in order to accomplish so great a salvation, in order to save his people, to ransom them from the slave market of sin and death, to deliver generations of believing men from the domain of darkness, this child, this man, had to take their place. He had to be their substitute. He had to take on their punishment. That God had provided a perfectly righteous sacrifice to prevail where we failed. But not only that, to pay the penalty for our failure, to bear the penalty for all the sin of all who would believe in him and call upon his name alone for salvation, namely the penalty of being separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity. As the father turned his back upon his son, not because he couldn't stand to see him in such a miserable state hanging upon that cross, but because he couldn't stand to look at the sin he had been made. Our sin. My sin. Your sin. However, death could not hold him. He was triumphantly raised from the dead three days later in a demonstration that that sacrifice was indeed sufficient. It had satisfied the righteous wrath of the Father in heaven. That His sacrifice had indeed secured both the forgiveness of sin and the blessed hope of their being raised his people being raised raised with him to eternal life this child who was appointed for the fall and rise the rise of many all who would but come to the light and believe in his gospel of grace call upon his name alone for salvation and reconciliation to the father again i ask you are you one of those are you one of those this morning Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Lord? Has he opened the eyes of your heart to behold his glory? Are you ready to die? Again, I'll just ask you straight up. Are you ready to die this morning? Are you ready at this very moment to stand before the one who gave you your life and sustained your life? Are you ready to stand before the one whom Simeon says reveals the thoughts of the hearts of men? Not some... Fat guy who watches you sleep and knows when you're awake, that's creepy pagan mythology. I'm talking about that, that moment, that nanosecond when you're required to give an account for your life to the one who gave it. Well, the question's not going to be if you've been bad or good, but what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? Do you know him as Savior, as Lord, as the deliverer from the darkness of this world, the deliverer from sin and death, as the one who gave his life a ransom for many, who gave his life a ransom for you? Are you one of those? Well, if you never have, you can be absolutely certain you belong to him if you would, but hear his invitation through his word this morning I implore you to turn from the world, turn from your sin, turn to him by grace alone through faith alone in the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Would you do that this morning? I pray and trust that you will. Yahweh is a gracious God who is both willing and able to save your everlasting soul this morning. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me now as we have Noel and the music team come up and close us in musical worship. And... Candles, candle time. So, if the gentlemen want to come and start lighting the candles, does everybody have a candle? If you don't, please raise your hand. Actually, Noel, why don't you pray? Let me say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for your word concerning your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who, though sinless, was born under the law and who kept the law perfectly on our behalf, who grew up to be a man who grew up to go to the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for the witness of Simeon, this man who waited to see the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. What a blessing it must have been to hold this child in his arms and to know that this was the one who would save the world from sin and from death. Lord, we pray that we would be ready to meet you because we know that our sins have been forgiven, that we are right with you. We love you. pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.